This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. All right, welcome to Set the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here in NBC Studios, Stamford, Connecticut with Drew Dinsick. We're going to talk about... Today, Wimbledon outrights on the men's and women's side. Then we'll talk about, or rather, Drew will largely talk about the Tour de France outright. And uh, <laughs> I will post the questions and figure out who to bet on there. Uh, and then we'll close a little speed round. Want to quickly touch on the Premier League and NBA title outrights because I think there's some interesting angles there. But let's talk about Wimbledon. Let's start off on the women's side, which I think is is much more compelling, uh, given that we don't have a minus one fifty five favorite on that side. We do have Iga Sviantek though, uh, who is a heavy favorite for some reason. Don't really understand, or at least her price is extremely short, <laughs> plus three fifty. Elena Rybakina, who uh, is not just she definitely going to play this tournament. I'm not one hundred percent sure. She's plus four hundred. Arena Sabalenka who uh, is still, if you close your eyes, still double-faulting in Roland Garros. Uh, she's plus 450. And then we have Kvitova, Jabir, Goff, Mukova, and Ostapenko to follow. Who do you like in this market? Bro? Okay, fantastic, fantastic tournament on tap for women's Wimbledon. Um, I honestly can't tell you the last time I was this anticipatory for a tennis slam because this is wide freaking open. Um, we came into this cycle with three, three and a half, you know, clear top of the market women. And since that cycle started at the beginning of grass season, all of them have regressed back to the pack with only one in Petra Kvitova taking a meaningful step forward with what we've seen in terms of form. That has now created a situation where there are at least 12 women with a greater than, you know, a non-trivial likelihood of winning this title, which is exciting. Um, the, you know, the likes of the Igas, the Rabakinas, if she plays, the Sabalankas, if she, you know, has her head with, you know, in the game, they can still be beaten by kind of the middle class just on the basis of lack of familiarity with the surface. Um, and just the fact that there are a number of kind of absolute, you know, firecrackers in terms of power and aggression that uh, can on any given day beat you in best of three. So this is um, a very, very exciting and awesome uh, just in general setup here. Uh, and I would say that, yes, Ega does deserve to be at the top of the board, but plus 350 is not a bettable price. It is not. 
We have not really seen her take any significant step forward on grass this year. She's playing in bad Homburg right now, trying to get a little bit of familiarity with the surface, but she still looks relatively unnatural on grass relative to what she looks like on clay. Uh, the movement just isn't the same. Uh, and in general, uh, even though we have seen her service hold percentage go up, her you know, service points winning percentage has gone up this year relative to last year. Uh, she still has a ton to prove that she warrants any kind of meaningful favoritism over players who, you know, who have, you know, a, a better track record like Petra Kvitova uh, or players who have power and shot making ability uh, like the Alexandrovas of the world, like the Kuder Matovas of the world. Um, and so, you know, I think, you know, Iga's where she, you know, who who lands in her quarter of the draw is going to matter a lot in terms of her ultimately making a deep run here. Um, and for someone like Jay, who, uh, you know, has an appetite to bet against Iga, I think you're going to have your chances, man. You're going to get your, you're going to get your spots um, because, you know, the market still rates her ex- extremely highly. Um, and as we saw in her first match in Bad Homburg, I mean, Tatiana Maria, who's, you know, a 38 year old mother of two, almost got the better of her. So, like, uh, there's going to be opportunities for uh, some of these challengers to get uh, a win head to head versus Ega at Wimbledon. And, um, and so I think, you know, some, some long shot price actually hitting the board here, I think, is very, very realistic. Okay. Well, let me throw a few or a couple long shots at you and you tell me if you like them. Uh, Vekic, Ostapenko, and Krajikova. Do you like any of those three? Yeah, all, all three are in the in my in my group of twelve. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And and they're all big prices. You can find you can find thirties, forties out there. Um, and you know, I think realistically that's that is saying that they have a you know, three, four percent chance to win. Uh, I, I'd make it closer to five. Uh, you know, I think that there are a number of kind of like specific players who have experience and quality and the skill set to to really excel on grass who all fall into that bucket. Um, and I, I guess so, you know, just running down the list in my 12, Iga, Rabakana, Sabalenka, surely, Kvitova, Ons, Mukova, uh, Ostapenko, Kudermatova, uh, Kurchikova, uh, Alexandrova, and uh, Garcia, although she's at the very, very limits, and Vekic, she's at kind of the back of the pack. Those are the 12 women that I think have a realistic chance to win this title. Yep, I like them. Should we quickly talk about Ons? Who's, uh, <laughs> I mean, 14th one about her. She, I think the big concern coming into the French Wimbledon season was her health, but she looked perfectly fine and healthy uh, at Roland Garros and getting to the quarterfinal. She just had a a very ons type meltdown but this time last year we were talking about her as the best grass court player in the world and then she didn't really do anything to dispel that in making the final of Wimbledon and being uh much to our chagrin about minus 1000 in running after she took the first set with ease against Robacana who really looked like she was melting down and then uh anti-melted down uh, and turned super sane in the second and third sets. Any interest in Ons? I think there's some 14 to 1 about Ons. Uh, the scars are still fresh, man. <laughs> it still hurts. Always uh, the yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it, I, I have to go and look at my numbers, but I believe that Ons last year at Wimbledon in the 35 40 to one range. Well, the was, the, 
I think that was the best bet I've ever made in my life that did not win. Yeah. Um, it was the most, I think that was the most plus EV. That was the, that was the most incorrect price that I've ever bet for size. Certainly that didn't actually get home. And so it hurts, you know, um, she should have been three, four to one last year. She was 40. That's insane. Like that'll never happen again in my life. And so I'm, I'm, I'm angry. Surely (laughs) 14 to one, 12 to one, whatever price is now, it's probably a little too long. But, uh, you know, the fact that she had the second quarter uh, effectively gifted to her with Rubacana catching this viral illness in at Roland Garros, and she still bottled it against Beatrice Haddad Maya, uh, that's enough of a signal for me to say that when the going gets tough mentally, I don't know that I can believe in her to overcome those demons. Now, when she does... And I see it live and I'm not on board. Am I going to be upset? Yes. <laughs> it's going to suck. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I am at, I'm basically at the place where I need to see it to believe it, that she can get over the hump. And, you know, I very much hope that she does because I would really like to see her cap off what has been a really solid two years of tennis with an actual slam title. And this is her best chance by far. Uh, I don't think she should be 12 to 1 to the UNE US Open. I don't think there is any tournament next year that I would expect her to be in the 12 to 1 range unless she somehow takes another meaningful step forward. Um, but I think that's less likely that the, 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 you know, the, the um, margins are getting narrower for her right now with how good some of these young women are coming up. Uh, and, uh, you know, Sabalenka, I mean, yeah, certainly Sabalenka, Rabakina improving uh, and Iga improving. Uh, all of that makes this probably her last ride. Um, if we see her just put on a show in round one, am I going to bet a ticket just to have a piece? Yes. <laughs> but I don't think it's a hugely plus EV bet right now. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, there's just there's just something not right uh, with Hans um, looking at how she ended that Wimbledon final, the way that she played the US Open final, the way that she played against Haddad Maya uh, at Roland Garros, some other meltdowns along the way. It is very much a kind of do need to see it from ons um but yeah at the price certainly if you have 14 to 1 uh, i'd much rather bet that than lay it uh and with you the the, the scars are still fresh my ons 40 to 1 wimbledon <laughs> 2022 ticket uh sits in the same drawer with uh my celtics 25 to 1 title bet after they went 03 down to the heat and should have been 10 to 1 12 to 1 to win the title but alas you can't eat value uh as they say let's go to the men's side and the way I want to frame this, so Novak Djokovic is minus one fifty-five, Alcaraz three to one, Medvedev third favorite eleven to one. What price would you need to back the field against Djokovic? Okay, so one fifty-five I think is a hair high. My fare on him is closer to minus one forty. If you gave me field plus one forty, I would pass. If you gave me field plus one fifty-five, I would reluctantly take it. But I would do that only in the vacuum of there is no other way you're like going to let me play this because there is a better way to play this. And that is Alcaraz three to one, (laughs) because when you're saying field in my mind, that's Alcaraz and a bunch of guys that have less than 2% chance to win. The idea that any of these younger players down the board are going to be Djokovic head to head because of their ability to execute on grass, as opposed to him, fundamentally handing them the match is I can't get there. Um, There is 
only I think I I, I kind of can't even believe the numbers and the record when you stand stare at it. But Djokovic has played a lot of grass tennis in his life, far more than the next most player in this tournament, which is Andy Murray, who has played a lot of grass tennis in his life. Those two stand a mile down the road from the next group in terms of their just in overall experience on grass. And Djokovic has only ever lost on grass 18 times. Believe it or not, the last time he lost on grass was 2018, Jay. That's pre-pandemic. That was 100 years ago. Um, he lost He lost notably at Wimbledon in 2017 to Thomas Burdich, which was a fluky. Uh, and then if you go to 2016, that's the one that, I re- that really stands out on the resume. Sam Query beat him head-to-head in the round of 32 at Wimbledon when Djokovic was something like, I don't know if off the top of my head, minus 2,500 in that match pre-flop. And query got the better of them. And a ton of people kind of scrutinized that particular match. And they're like, what in the heck happened? And it was almost certainly a tournament and a match in particular where Djokovic had done a decent amount of exhaling after winning Roland Garros for the first time in 2016. He finally gets his Roland Garros win that completes his uh, his career slam. And he blew off the next month of training, vacation, party, did all kinds of who knows what, and then showed up at Wimbledon a little bit out of focus and query got the better of him in the round of 32. Is there a possibility that something like that happens this year? Surely. Djokovic got to the, his 23rd slam at Roland Garros. He's been vacationing. We haven't seen him other than what he's going to do, this warm-up exhibition stuff here this week uh, in preparation. But the problem is there's not really a Sam Query in the draw. And that's to say, like, Sam Query had experience on grass. He had had the right tools for it, right? Like, there could be someone like a Maxime Cressy, who is a bit of a grass specialist, who finds his way into Djokovic's uh, quarter, well, which will be the fourth quarter, by the way, because Djokovic is now the two seed. I'm not sure if you saw, but Alcaraz winning Queens put him at, up to the one seed. Yeah. Um, you know, there could be a specialist who he runs into early who gets the better of him. But I think realistically, this is this tournament's going to come down to Djokovic versus Alcaraz in the final. And so I haven't bet Alcaraz at all. And so you could say, well, what what, what are you you're talking out of? You, you know, you're talking out of both sides here. What, why in the world would you say Alcaraz has a realistic chance, but you haven't bet him? And I think the the straightforward answer is i don't think you're getting much of a better price right now than you're going to get in that final (laughs) honestly i think i think alcaraz is probably going to be like three to one in the final to Djokovic, and ton of that is i think is going to be colored by what we saw at roland garros and a ton of that is going to be colored by the overall just track record of how many times Djokovic has been there and how few times alcaraz has but the thing is the first time these two guys played in the slam at roland garros the shoe was on the other foot the pressure was on alcaraz he was the favorite he was up you know completely amped up in that match and i think that affected him negatively in the way that in this time around you know it'll be the other you know it'll be the pressure on on Djokovic. Uh, to win another slam, to go to 24. And Alcaraz is going to be playing with a little bit of house money. And honestly, I think Djokovic is going to take him a little bit of time to solve Alcaraz's game on grass. Alcaraz's game on grass that we've seen this season, it has been electric. He is hitting winners at a rate that is superlative. His unforced errors are down from what we saw from him on clay. He's learning the game in real time, uh, how to excel on grass. And I think that's going to give him some chance against Djokovic if he gets there. And that's kind of the key issue is that he could stumble along the way, not get to the final, and then you're not looking at a losing ticket. Um, uh, but if he does get to the final, uh, and you know if we're if we're previewing the, uh, the Wimbledon final on Friday, 
uh, in three weeks, uh, then you know I'm going to be banging on the table that Alcaraz is the bet at price. Yep, no, I like that. And I still think that Alcaraz possibly has just the highest ceiling match to match of anyone on the planet if he plays his A plus game, which you know he played against Sitsipas uh, in Paris for those first two and a half sets. I think that is is almost untouchable. But yeah, he is he's liable to to just lose potentially a random quarterfinal uh, just because he doesn't have that consistency that, that Djokovic has established. You know, it's funny, this time last year, our our male parallel to Ons in terms of the bet on uh, was Matteo Berrettini. Who? Uh, who came into, <laughs> yeah, exactly, came into Wimbledon incredible form last year. Now he's just yeah. dead to the world. He's 140 to 1 on the exchange to win Wimbledon. Uh, so it's just it's, it's turned quite quickly for Matteo. I do think back to last year when uh, when Yannick Sinner gave Djokovic a real match in the quarterfinals, which is probably, yeah. in a way, probably the most impressive big match that Yannick has played in going up two sets to nothing <laughs> on Djokovic. And then he fell off a cliff, which is what Yannick Sinner and his demons do uh, yeah. in that position. But he is he's probably the third guy to me. Uh, you know, Medvedev perhaps just has has more of a chance in a way that he's just more consistent, but Sinner probably has the highest ceiling where he is he could he could on his day play Djokovic off the court, which not many other people on the planet can do, but you certainly wouldn't bet on that happening. So I do think it is I agree with you. It's it's Alcaraz or Pass and you're better off just waiting for Alcaraz to get through those six matches before he has to play most likely Djokovic in the final. Yeah, a couple of quick thoughts. I'm glad you brought up Sinner and that match in particular. Because that kind of specific match where Djokovic took three, you know, two and a half sets to figure out how to beat center, that's kind of the door that I think is open for Alcaraz. Yep. Because this is an, he's an unknown quantity. There's not a track record of how do you beat this guy on grass. It's going to take Djokovic a little bit of time, which I think is really kind of the key there. Um, the entire middle class of the men's is scratch off, scratch off, scratch off, scratch off, scratch off. Medvedev out of form. Sissipas's you know head is not in the game. You know, Casper uh, you know, Ruud is out playing golf. Um, you know the the uh, the sinner. You know questions about his mental toughness at the slam level still very very much exists. Verov's uh, getting clowned by uh, you know Sasha Bublik uh, at you know at Halle for for his serve right now. Like th- there's no confidence there. Uh, Nick Kyrgios belongs nowhere near the top of this board. He's so far out of form with injury and and similarly Felix Auger Aliassim. Uh, I, I think you have to circle Corda as a potential quarter winner. Uh, if he's in Q2 or Q3, I think you have to circle Rublev at 25 to 1 because he should be closer to uh, sort of that second tier. And I might even flip prices with him and Medvedev. Medvedev has g- given us nothing on grass so far this season. He looks completely out of sorts. He's made his adjustment from clay to grass has been, uh, you know, virtually non existent. Um, I'm not really in the her catch business this season. I'm not in the Fritz business this season. Andy Murray's price is hysterically poor. Cam Norrie is a joke. Uh, Gregor Dimitrov is, you know, maybe he makes week two, but he's not winning a quarter. Um, so I think you're circling some of these longer, like true longer shots. Alex Demonor. Played really, really well in Queens. He's got to be a consideration. Uh, didn't mention Holger Rune. He's got high enough ceiling that he could bust out any minute, surely. Um, I like Maxime Cressy for what it's worth just because he is such a grass specialist. He plays serve and volley. 81% of his service points, Jay. You know what the next highest on tour is? 23. 
There's no one else doing what he's doing, and it is unique enough that he could ultimately ride that to uh, uh, you know a deep run at Wimbledon if he can put together a little bit of form here in this warm-up at eSports. So you know, I, I realistically think that the entire middle of the board right now is dead money. Uh, and you're looking at the two guys at the top with the realest chance to win, uh, and then guys in the 100 to 1 range are going to win Q2, Q3. Poor Cam Nori just liberated uh, <laughs> with that stray. Because <laughs> it won't be any more. But uh, no, I tend to agree. I think it's. Uh, it's Djokovic and Alcaraz and then Sinner and Rune are the guys to, to monitor with upside. But uh, it seems like Djokovic's tournament to lose. All right, before we get to the Tour de France, a reminder, Sunday morning's main MLB leadoff on Peacock. You can live stream games all season long. And this week, two of the biggest surprises of the first half of the season square off when the Twins take on the Orioles at Camden Yards. Catch the showdown at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Again, it is exclusive on Peacock. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Good France. Let's get into some markets to win the general classification, the yellow jersey. We have, I'm going to butcher some of these names, Jonas Vingegaard, uh, plus 110, and Tadai Pogacar, plus 115. It's effectively a head-to-head mark unless you want to throw out some long shots. What's your breakdown here? Uh, this is going to be an awesome Tour de France. Well, first okay. of all, well done on the pronunciations. Um, that being a god, but yeah, no, I, yeah, I think they 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 tend to kind of uh, just kind of brush over the last part, and they say Vingagu. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, the Danish cyclist, he's your reigning champion, um, and last year he was a bit of a surprise winner. Pogachar was Pogachar was uh, a heavy favorite coming into the Tour de France last year. Um, and he, and he rode very well out of the gate. Uh, you know, it looked like he had it wrapped up in week one. Um, the problem was his team is substantially weaker, uh, than the, uh, Jumbo Visma team, which, uh, rides for Jonas Vingagu. Uh, and the team overall from Jumbo Visma last year was amazing. Uh, Wild Van Art 
but just dominant on the hilly stages and the medium mountain stages ran away with the green jersey um and overall that's it's you know their top five riders are like clearly the best top five of any team on, in the professional circuit right now and that gives in my opinion at least Jonas Vingagu uh, a tremendous head start on Tade Pogachar this year Pogachar also broke his wrist uh, in April has not been riding competitively, although I'm sure he's been training his, you know, his, his saddle off. Um, he still has just not been in competition. That's an uncertainty that I think is negative in his, you know, in, in his column. Um, and also it's worth noting that there was, there was a little bit of tension between Wout Van Aert and Jonas Vingagu last year because, you know, Vingagu needed Van Aert at a couple of key moments in during the, you know, during key stages to help, uh, you know, help pull. Um, but, you know, Van Art was out there, you know, on breakaways, winning, winning stages, getting the glory for himself for the green Jersey. Uh, I think this year with the way that the tour is set up, there's many, there's no hilly stages. There's fewer medium mountain stages. Um, it's more of a traditional layout for the tour. Uh, and so I think that puts Van Art back on, you know, back on Vinegu's wheel, uh, which should help that team overall. Uh, be able to pull away in week two. So uh, for me, at least, Jonas Vingagu, very, very fair play at plus money uh, to win this outright. I think po- you know, Pogacar uh, is going to have to show some form that I just have not uh, have not seen from him this year and or his team is going to have to take have it take a meaningful step forward to to uh, stay with Vingagu in the uh, general classification. Okay, well, this pronunciation of Vingugu has completely thrown me. <laughs> presence of two A's and R and a D at the end, but um, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, let's go talk about the points classification winner, the green jersey. Uh, Philipson, plus 110, favorite. Van Arsch, plus 275. And then Jakobsen is the third favorite, plus 500. Anyone you like here? Yeah, this is the one where I think it's fair to take a shot at the price. Uh, your reigning green jersey winner. So put, if you don't already know, <clears throat> the general classification, the yellow jersey is the fastest overall time as you sum all of the stages together. Who finished the tour the fastest? And that's the that's the big granddaddy prize of them all, right? The secondary prize is the points classification, and you generate points by winning sprints, by winning stages. Uh, last year's winner was Wout Van Aert. He did so by dominating some very unique and unusual hilly and medium mountain stages on last year's tour that are not present this year. So him backing up last year's title with another green jersey, while it wouldn't be shocking, it would be a little bit surprising. Um, it's just, I don't see how he's going to need to get like a bunch of second and third places in the sprint stages. And I just don't think that that's really what he's here for this year. Um, so I think ultimately Ultimately, your your points classification, your green jersey is going to go to a sprinter. And I like the sprinter at five to one in Fabio um, uh, Jakobsen because he has the best lead out man in the game. Michael Morkov is the best at setting him up to uh, to sprint into the finishes. There are six sprint stages on this tour. I think uh, Fabio can win three, maybe four, uh, depending on how uh, ultimately that team has come together last year. Fabio was a huge disappointment. They win stage two and then like we're never really in contention for any of the other sprinting stages. That was the first year he was the, you know, the, the sprint designated sprinter for that team. There was a little bit of chaos in terms of, uh, you know, just team chemistry and who was whose roles and responsibilities were what I think this year and particularly with what we've seen up in the lead up to this year's tour, 
uh, you know, the, the quick step team looks locked in on him uh, for, you know, getting him sprint staging stage wins. And I think Jakobsen should be closer to uh, the price that you see for Wout Van Aert in the plus 275 range. So Jakobsen five to one, very solid bet in my opinion for the green Jersey. And if you're asking if I'm chasing because I bet this last year and it was not a winner, you are correct. <laughs> I think I might have bet that with you. Uh, that's I as well, uh, last two markets: the mountain classification winner and team classification winner. Across these two, any bets that you like. So, mountain classification again is the polka dot jersey, which is obviously the most fun jersey, um, but it's also the most chaotic. You look at some of the winners in years past, and it's like. Who? What? How? Uh, and the reason that that is is the you know you get mountain uh, you get mountain points for coming over certain climbs first, right? And in general, you get to the Alps portion of the uh, competition, and whoever's left at that point late in the competition, uh, you know there are big big high point climbs through the middle. Uh, of some of these stages and so you know guys go in the breakout they win those points and they you know they climb up the board last year of course the way that the entire uh um circuit was set up uh it set up well for vin 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 uh vin uh to win the uh polka dot jersey this year i do not see that it's going to be somebody surprising uh i and, and honestly everybody on this list that's shorter than 50 to 1 for me is a pass uh in fact i guess that means that you just it, in this particular market you're looking for any other not listed at two to one because it's going to be a surprise somebody in the 50 to 101 range is going to hit it this year i think uh and i don't know who that person is so i like the field okay there you go i like it uh this is what i like about you drew you go deep into the bag <laughs> very uh, uh art house betting um touching on the the Darren Aronofsky elements of betting. I'm more of a Michael Bay blow stuff up type of guy. Uh, very, very, uh, so I want to close out talking a couple of more mainstream Michael Bay type markets. Little uh, lightning round, Premier League title, NBA title. Of, uh, one thing, the Premier League one I haven't haven't bet on is yet. It's more just to monitor where. Man City right now, minus 175 to win the Premier League title again for the umpteenth time. Uh, and I, th- I think it's a it's a little bit aggressive of a price just given they have these charges hanging over them where despite being minus 175 to win the title, they're also like the uh, 15th most likely to get relegated. Like they're not the 20th most likely to get relegated in terms of the odds because they do have all of this sitting over them. Also, just from a pure soccer sense, they've just lost Ilkay Gundogan to Barcelona, who is possibly their best player in the second half of the season. Also, with Pep, it's not quite a Scott Skiles, Tom Thibodeau type of thing, because Pep is obviously in a different tier to those type of guys, but there is a fatigue element with Pep that has been voiced that, you know, everyone acknowledges that he is the greatest coach, greatest manager of his era, but there is also a fatigue element and a reason why guys like Jao Cancelo just didn't happen and then he just left to Bayern Munich, why perhaps a reason why Gundogan left. I'm just speculating there. So if you're looking for someone in the field, the team that I would look at is Chelsea, who were a basket case last season uh, to a comical degree. Their failure for Chelsea to finish in the bottom half of the league is just completely insane. But they bring in Maurizio Pochettino, who's a real coach, 
which I'm not sure Frank Lampard is who closed the season there. He will bring in, I think, a degree of stability. They have been very lucky in having uh, Saudi Arabia there to be able to trim their squad and get rid of guys like Hakim <laughs> Ziyech and Khalid Koulibaly and these type of guys who just weren't working there. They brought in players like Nkunku and Nicholas Jackson, I think, are going to be really good. And the thing is with Chelsea that I really like uh, for this upcoming Premier League season is because they were so bad last year, they don't have any... No midweek fixtures for them. No European football for Chelsea. And the other thing there is that a big part, I think, of why Chelsea were bad last year is they just weren't fit and they weren't running. And Lampard commented that on the way out, that they just they, they didn't have the fitness levels. Pochettino was famous for getting fitness levels up. So there's a lot of, I think, low-hanging fruit there. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit. We're just trimming the squad and playing a real eleven. And also the fact that they are just going to be, their only focus is going to be the Premier League. Yes, the FA Cup and the League Cup will still be there, but they have such a less cluttered fixture list than their other opponents to win the title. So Chelsea, uh, who you can get in the 16 to 1 range, if you hunt around, maybe even a bit bigger. I would monitor their off season and whether they bring in additional players, which I suspect they will. Um, but they're the one to monitor at the moment, I think. What do you think of Chelsea? Sold. I, yeah. I just bet it. <laughs> yeah, sixteen to one, great yeah. price. Uh, I the 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 note that really struck home was the idea of Manchester City bringing home the trouble this year. Like, what are they playing for now? Yeah, right. If anything, it's another Champions League title, uh, and certainly the the specter of um, you know of of punishment hanging over them is not non trivial. Um, so yeah, a lot, lot of reasons to to be, and just in general, what you're seeing from some of the decision making, like you, like you mentioned, who they're who they're letting walk out the door is surprising. Um, pulling out of the bidding for Declan Rice was surprising. Like I think that's telling you something a little bit about how they are going to use this year as a bit of a reset. Certainly, uh, couldn't touch them at minus one seventy five. A market where I am willing to touch the favorite, though, is the NBA championship market, which I want to close out <laughs> with, uh, where the Boston Celtics, who I think the answer around, you can find some plus 550 uh, on them to win the title. I think probably the, the consensus price in the market is closer to plus 500 on MGM. They're plus 450. And I think Chris Stapps Porzingis might be the most underrated player in the NBA, where just because he's played on losing teams, I think there is a stench around him and there is the thought that, well, he's just going to get injured or he's just going to wilt in big games. Like, he was fully healthy last season and he was largely healthy the year before as well and then was just resting down the stretch, certainly this year, because the team had nothing to play for. Porzingis, when you look at some of his his stats, firstly, he's like a plus five EPM guy. And I don't yeah. think he's going to be that level of player in Boston, but I think to be a plus four player is, is totally reasonable. He was a effectively a top five player in terms of pick and roll defense as a drop man. He was the most efficient post scorer in the league. And then he also spaces the floor. He's gotten, I think, slightly better as a passer as well. And I think just the fact that they've kind of shifted their... Um, I guess, glut of players positionally from guard to big man. I think that bodes well too. And also, I think the fact that they lose Marcus Smart, which obviously hurts, and I think that they they were a better chance to win the title if the initial version of that trade went through and they had Smart instead of Brogdon. But one thing that I think is going to be really interesting now with the Celtics is that 
Look, they lose Smart, who was probably their best passer uh, and their most cerebral offensive player. I think that there are going to be two kind of residual benefits to that. One, Derek White, who's better than Smart anyway and better than Brogdon. He increases in importance and he will be closing games and starting games. That's a good thing. And it was always an awkward thing if you're going to bench Smart down the stretch because he's, you know, the leader of the team. That's gone. White will play more. And then second, secondarily, I think also it's going to help that Tatum and Brown, just by necessity as the mother of invention, they're going to have to get better as playmakers. And Jalen Brown, he might not have that in them. He might just be dribbling the ball off his foot for eternity. But Jason Tatum has that in him. Jason Tatum has some real passing chops. He's gotten better as a playmaker. And I think the fact that he is going to have more responsibility throughout the regular season, because he's going to have the ball in his hands in the playoffs anyway. And I think that that bodes well for them too. And I think that so long as they get to the playoffs with two of Horford, Williams, Paul Zingas healthy... I think that they are going to, with health and without a Damian Lillard trade, I think they're going to walk the East. I think the East, it's so bad. There are only probably four teams that can realistically win the East uh, if you're not counting the Cavs and you're not counting the Knicks and I'm not counting the Knicks. And I think that even if the Heat trade for Dame, which is, by the way, no lock. People are thinking about this, though, that's a lock. Like he's, There's less than a 50% chance Damian Lillard is on the Heat just because that's how these things work. I still think the Celtics are better than that Heat team if they have to give up everything for Lillard. So I think the Celtics should be closer to plus 350 than 5-1 to to win the title. I think so long as you get Tatum healthy to the playoffs. I think if, if the Celtics get to the playoffs and they have Tatum and they lose any other player, I still think they're the best team in the East. You take Jalen Brown off the Celtics, I think they still might be the best team in the East in the playoffs. But what do you think of this Boston thing? I mean, I think your breakdown is solid. Um, people are underrating the importance of the Porzingis trade. People assume that he is a an injury waiting to happen when recent recency would tell you he's been able to play a healthy amount of minutes at a very very high level he was he would have been the celtics second best player last year definitely yep. it's amazing like they basically got a second banana behind tatum who's big uh, who can kind of specifically uh replace some of the contributions of the aging al horford um, and you know, if you get a full another year, you didn't mention Robert Williams. If he's on the floor more consistently because he's coming into a, a season healthy, I think that's huge. Um, the question is, can those guys stay healthy, and you know, can they be healthy in April? That's really what matters. Because yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Like on paper, this is clearly the best team in the Eastern Conference, and it's not close. Even with Lillard in Miami, I would tell you this is the best team. Um, and I think realistically, the Big question hanging over my – well, there's really two questions, and they are the coach and Jalen Brown. Um, the coach, you would assume, has to get better, right? Another year of this, he should continue to improve. They're going to get good He's just know, got real assistance, assistance around, around him. Yeah, get, that, that, that's huge, yeah. Uh, that, that, should, that should – he should go up because of the assistance, because of the experience, yes. Jalen Brown is a tougher question because the Celtics are really in a lose-lose spot with him. They either have to give him the bag that he is doesn't he's not going to ultimately earn with the Celtics, or they're going to have to trade him and get less back for him than he is worth to whatever team they trade him to. Like Jalen Brown will not hit his ceiling playing on the same team as Jason Tatum, I don't think. Which I means you got to. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. Plus two and a half, plus three player. He's a lower level all star. Yeah, but he's about to get compensated to the tune of a lot more than that. And so the question is, do you do you sign up for that, or do you try to try to move him for either a couple of pieces or one other? good piece uh and i don't really know they're they're just kind of have their backs against the wall in this situation because they're not going to get fair value for him in a trade back and or they have to then pay him and it it could really kind of you know determine the future of this franchise for years to come but we don't care really about what happens in 2025 2026 2027 do we we care about what happens in june of 2024 and that to me does look like celtics lifting the larry o'brien right now yep and the last thing i'd say on this as well is that one Porzingis is only 27 which it feels like he's 31 he's still 27 <laughs> still young. Uh, and also his injuries his big injuries have been contact injuries which is much more fluky than having you know but than robert williams's knees to be fair uh but the other thing too is that they still got the brogdon contract they've got this additional pick from golden state they've still got all their own picks basically if it is not working if the playmaking is too, too deficient then they can make a move. Uh, so I think that's the other thing is that, like, you look at teams like Phoenix can't do anything outside of trade eight, and then he doesn't have a ton of value. Uh, other teams like Philly, they just don't have the war chest of assets that Boston do. So they have the flexibility to make a move if they need, but I'm not sure they'll need to. I think that they are the best team anyway. All right. Good show today, Drew. Don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks for those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. Please rate and subscribe to us if you're listening in podcast form. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. Is it just me, or is it getting really hard to figure out the best way to save for retirement? Fidelity can help you find clarity so you can save the best way for you. With a free personalized plan, goal tracking, and timely insights, you'll be set to take on retirement your way. Get started at fidelity.com slash future. Expenses charged by your investments and other costs and fees associated with trading or transacting in your account apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash.